This episode of Case of the Creeps is brought to you by BetterHelp. Hey there, creeps. It's your boy, Papa Bear. Coming at you with a slew of new acronyms that the psych doctors gave me to try and achieve my life goal. What's that, you ask? Why, it's winning therapy. And guess what? With what we have here at Case of the Creeps to offer, you too can be like me and try your hand at making a therapist throw up. I'm kidding, guys. <laughs> Don't be a psycho like me. As you guys know, we here at Case of the Creeps are huge proponents of mental health, and we would like nothing more than to help you find your way in this ever-changing, dark, chaotic world that we live in. Thanks to BetterHelp, you can now access the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online, so you can keep your crippling social anxiety at bay. That's right, no need to leave your home. With BetterHelp, tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. Just start by answering a few questions about your needs and preferences, and BetterHelp will do the rest to match you with the right therapist for your needs. After that, you're ready to talk to your therapist any way you feel comfortable, whether it's text, chat, phone, video call, blood magic, or necromancy. You can message your therapist at any time to schedule a live session. And if you feel they aren't the right fit for you, switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. BetterHelp offers the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-the-office therapy, but with a therapist custom-picked for you. And now through the podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of therapy at BetterHelp.com forward slash The Creeps. That's BetterHelp.com forward slash The Creeps. Hey, creepy crawlers. I'm Katie. And I'm Nate. And this is Case, Case of, of the, the Creeps. Creeps. Guess who's back? <laughs> back again? Crowley's back. Tell a friend. But fuck a friend. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, both, we both were like, bring it back. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> well, hello. Well, hello. I think we found our intro. <laughs> what was the other thing you did? Get the Sherpa. Fucking Sherpa. You made me spit. <laughs> when I when I listened back to the episode, I fucking died. She made me laugh so fucking hard. I did. God, I was proud. Oh. <laughs> well, hello, creepy peeps, and welcome to a part two edition of Case of the Creeps. I'm Katie. <laughs> no, I'm, oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm Nate. So we don't have too much before diving into tonight's second part of Crowley. However, we do have a bit of announcement to make in regards to us. Um, It used to just be me, Papa Bear, and Mama Jerry, but we now have a new member of the team, and that's Creepy Mickey. So you guys have seen her floating around on our socials recently. She has been so gracious as to come on and help us with the behind the scenes stuff because let me tell you guys, the smut queen had a breakdown and Mickey straight up misdoubtfired it and screamed, help is on the way, dear. <laughs> help is on the way, dear. Uh, you guys. <laughs> 
hope is on the way, dear. So we had to pause recording. And usually when we have things like, not like this, but like interruptions, I'll pause it and then just cut it out. But I don't think I can this time because it was just way too perfect. My creepy kiddo um, apparently has a stomach bug and my creepy husband just found out firsthand. He got to puke on him. Oh my God. So um, I had to go and uh, clean up the, um, I had to do damage control. So, um, but anyways, as we were saying, uh, Creepy Mickey has joined the team and she's helping us with the behind the scenes stuff. Um, so to get you guys familiar with her as well, we are also going to be having a small moment before each case popping uh, for, in every episode now where we give Mickey a call or she sends us a voice clip that we play and it's going to be called Mickey, Mickey's Creepy... Mickey? Mickey. <laughs> ah, ah. <laughs> Mickey's Sherpa Corner. <laughs> Mickey's Ah Corner. <laughs> Mickey's Creepy Corner. Um, and she's going to share something with us uh, for you guys, too. And that starts right now. So we're going to give her a call. Hello. 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 <laughs> Sorry, we had a, a little interruption beforehand. I heard. Yeah. That's okay. It worked out perfect because I had a bit of a meltdown here myself. Hey, so <laughs> parenting for the win. <laughs> So we are recording right now, Mickey, and we are doing our first bit of Mickey's Creepy Corner. So if you want to introduce yourself, you are more than welcome to, but we are handing the microphone over to you for your first segment. Oh my God. Okay. Um, So I'm Mickey and I am Katie and Nate's cousin up here in New England, Probably some of the oldest ghosts around up here. And, They're all Victorian. Um, <laughs> Every one of them. They're all in white dresses. <laughs> I've seen some creepy stuff. I've lived in a hundred-something-year-old house that was haunted by an old man. It was pretty cool. <laughs> That's dope. We're going to have oh, to get yeah. that story. Oh, oh, I can give it right now if you want. <laughs> um, yeah, so he was a little old man who lived in the house with his wife before we bought the house and they got old so the parent the kids moved them to like an old folks home i'm assuming and after living in the house for about six months or so it felt like a presence was in the house especially upstairs where my room was and there was like a little secret hidden closet fuck that and yeah (laughs) (laughs) of course (laughs) then this one, I could, like, feel it. Like, I'd hear stuff downstairs. When I'm upstairs, I'd hear something walking around the floor upstairs. And then one day, like, the noises just stopped. Hold on, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Meltdown's still happening. Um, so then I found out that the guy's wife actually died. I think he was waiting for his wife <gasps> before he moved on. Because after she died, there was nothing. Oh so, my god! <laughs> and you get there's a lot of that up here. Oh my lord! Dear <laughs> god, there's no yeah, fucking way. It's wild. I had a best friend whose house had like a little secret passage through the bathroom, and there was like a secret hallway with stairs. I'm sorry, what? 
Yeah. So no. Like, <laughs> back upstairs, like there was a closet, but then there was a secret door, and in the door, it went down into like this dark hallway, and then out the back. Oh my god! <laughs> no, no. Yeah, New England is awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that was a great intro to who you are. That works. Hey, Shit. <laughs> that was amazing. Well, Mickey, we know that we're going to be seeing more of you on our socials. And again, we just want to say thank you so much. And as usual, we hope you keep it creepy. Oh, and welcome to the crew. Yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> we're so happy that you're a part of it. And congrats on your first segment, too. Woo, I'll have uh, something better next segment. What, what are you talking <laughs> about? That was like the perfect one. <laughs> All right, well, we love you, and we're going to get down with Crowley now. Happy recording. (laughs) Bye. Bye, guys. Thanks, Mickey, for that. Now, on to our normal stuff really quick. Um, We have gotten... We, it's so cool because every week is a different week when it comes to numbers and create and doing a podcast and being able to sit back and watch those numbers just steadily grow, whether it's by two or by 15... Like it just did. Really? Hell yeah. So we have gained another 15 extra followers just on one platform here recently. So shout out to you new new creepy peeps and welcome aboard. Um, oh, I forgot to tell you. I saw a buddy of mine today. I've known him for a very long time. And I haven't seen him in quite a long time. And he happened to come into work today and drop off parts. And I was talking to him. And he's like... Hey, man, me and my wife listen to your podcast all the time. Really? Oh, hell yeah, dude. That's awesome. Hell yeah. Well, shout out to you, dude. Thank you so much. Um, But for everyone who is new, if you have any of your favorite chili recipes, if you have an episode request, if you have a shout out or fan art or a creepy story yourself that you would like to share just like Mickey just did, please... Uh, email those over to us at caseofthecreeps at gmail.com so that we can celebrate you and also have some new chili for chili crawlers, even though it's, it's like three fucking, degrees. It's the backside of Satan's nutsack it's out there. so bad. I, I say it is Satan's taint outside. You have the sun, <laughs> you have Florida, and then you have Earth. Yeah, and <laughs> God, man, it is so bad Fuck recently. Mercury. So... <laughs> <laughs> put it back in the microwave (laughs) but if you guys have any of those or again even if you just want to say hi we will read your stuff on air and celebrate you and join have you join our creepy case so oh and we're in talks of maybe a new platform we are we have a couple like really big things that have been going on behind the scenes and we promise we're not like gaslighting you guys or anything (laughs) or gatekeeping whatever it is but um, we have some stuff coming to you guys. Just we appreciate your patience. Also, um, if you would like to become a Patreon, you can join us at patreon.com forward slash case of the creeps. And then as usual, you can join us on Facebook at case of the creeps, uh, our private Facebook group, which is COTC group. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at case of the creeps podcast. And then follow us everywhere you can because we love you guys and we're growing and we want to grow more so we can do cool live stuff for you. Hell yeah. Because, yeah. But other than that, 
With all that being said, we are ready to jump into part two of Mr. Alistair Crowley, the B666 himself, mm. in the early events of this wild-ass man. The bees. Yes. I know you talking to me today, you're like, Jesus Christ, there's so much. She's like, oh I'm, my God. So I was trying. <laughs> I, we need to talk about that for a second. Because I was losing my mind. I'm like, God, this guy is all over the place, but he hasn't killed anyone. I need him to kill somebody. Like... What the fuck? He, he literally traveled all over the world. Yep. So because of that right there, guys, we're going to have to do like a mini part three of Aleister Crowley to like button him all up because I got, I got a lot of stuff to I think in between through. we can do some like Florida mayhem. Yeah, we'll throw some, some little pizzazz in there. And I think we should... What? I mean, we can go beyond Florida, I think, because there's a lot of crazy shit. Crazy New York news. Crazy New York. Yeah, I want to do New York next. We could do it because what? Fucking subjugated to poor New York. Well, that fucking cesspool. <laughs> I mean, all of the superhero movies. Think about it. Every movie like bases it out of either Seattle, Chicago, or New York. Fucking <laughs> Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Where's Chicago? Come Transformers. From? The Battle of Chicago. It's not a superhero movie. Get the fuck out of my they face. They're superheroes. They're yes, machines. they are. They're saving Earth. They're heroes. They don't have to be human. Autobots roll. <laughs> All right. Well, are you ready to pop this case? Oh, that was such a perfect one, too. Oh, Cheers. Cheers. Part two. Uh, shout out C4. Frozen bombsicle. I don't know if I needed two of them, but guess what? Oh, it's cute. Excuse me, sir. That's a lot bullier. <laughs> Shout out, monster, my my old faithful. So, in part one, we did an overview of this man. So, we're going to get into the first part of his life, um, in a little bit more detail for you guys, so you can kind of understand the what is what is a good word intensity of this man. So. Alistair Crowley was actually born Edward Alexander Crowley at 30 Clarendon Square in Royal Leamington Spa, Warwickshire, on October 12th of 1875. His father was Edward Crowley. He was trained as an engineer, but his share in a lucrative family brewing business, which was Crowley's Alton Ales, had allowed him to retire before uh, his son was even born. And then his mother was Emily Bertha Bishop. They had, like, the first Fridays. No, they did. They did. Two for one appetizers, baby. <laughs> Come down and get your appetizers. Come to Friendly's. Come to friend. Oh, my God, Friendly's. Oh, my God. <laughs> the server does not mention appetizers. You get one for free. That's Ruby Tuesdays, too. <laughs> Is Ruby Tuesdays even real? Yes. <laughs> anymore, it's at least. Not anymore. Remember Shoney's? Shonies. Yeah. Do you remember Quincy's? I'm a big fat usual. <laughs> Hell yeah. Bruh. What about um yeah, Duff's? Or was it Duff's? Yeah, yeah Duff's. Duff's. That place I think that was, was exclusively too. a Florida thing. It probably was. But you know what? Name enough buffets. You know, <laughs> you know what's cool is you could smoke in Shonies. You could. You could used to be able to smoke in every restaurant. Just cheap your cigarette down and put it out in your old salad. <laughs> Do you remember when you used to walk? This <laughs> ranch was gross. <laughs> This blue cheese needed more spice. 
I'm going to re-eat the cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> Disgusting. Now, <laughs> his mom was Emily Bertha Bishop. She came from a Devonshire Somerset family and had a strained relationship with her son. She described him as, quote, the beast, which was a name that he reveled in. He's like, I fucking love it, mother. Tell me again. Go to the beast again. Do it. Just give me a ripe Come spanking. <laughs> I've been bad. <laughs> uh, Crowley's father had been born a Quaker, but had converted to the Exclusive Brethren, which was a faction of a Christian fundamentalist group known as the Plymouth Brethren. And he was fucking devoted. He was hardcore. Wow. Uh, Emily likewise converted upon ma- marriage, so it was probably one of those I'll do it to make my husband happy kind Feels of like things. I fucking guess. He believe that he's going to beat the shit out of For me. For real. <laughs> we're talking, we're over in England right oh, now. Yeah, over there, it was like. And that was. <coughs> they were barely. Out of cobblestone roads. Barely. <laughs> You're twisting your fucking We're in ankles. the 1800s right now. Oh, yeah. They're still twisting their ankles on fucking rocks. Absolutely. Now, Crowley's father was... Uh, We're per- talking Peaky Blinders. We are. This is Peaky Blinder time right now. So, Crowley's father was particularly devout, spending his time as a traveling preacher for the sect and reading a chapter from the Bible to his wife and son after breakfast every single day day god could you imagine that'd be so when i was in catholic school we had to go to church every single friday Mm -hmm. and mass baby yep and then um i would have to go to church every sunday and then on wednesdays we would have to pray the rosary did they beat your knuckles with no but we had a religion class too where we got to learn all (laughs) the science behind religion did you catch that I fucking heard it. It was upsetting me internally. <laughs> yeah. It hurt my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> so, following the death of their baby daughter in 1880, in 1881, the following year, the Crowleys moved to Red Hill, Surrey. At the age of eight, Crowley was sent to H.T. Habersham's Evangelical uh, Christian Boarding School in Hastings. Evangelical. Yeah, it, is that not what I said? Evangelical? Is, is evangelical. Eva- no, I did not. I did not. Now I'm not sure what you said. Evangelical. 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 The word. Okay. The only time I have to say it. Um, (laughs) And then went to, um, is it Ebor? Ebor. Ebor Preparatory School in Cambridge, run by the Reverend Henry D'Archie Champ. God, these names are going to fuck me up this episode. Reverend Henry D'Archie Champney who Crowley considered a sadist. Mm. In March of 1887, when Crowley was 11, his father died of tongue cancer. What a fucking way to go. It's because he was reading the Bible. (laughs) Speaking in tongues. Yep. Crowley described this as a turning point in his life, and he has always maintained an admiration of his father, describing him as, quote, a hero and my friend. Inheriting a third of his father's wealth... He began misbehaving at school and was harshly punished by Champney. Crowley's father, or I'm sorry, Crowley's family removed him from the school when he developed albuminuria. Albuminuria. It's when you have very high levels of protein in your body, making you more prone to kidney failure. He then attended Malvern College and Tonebridge School, both of which he despised and left after a few terms. Are you seeing, like, the pattern with him? Mm-hmm. He can't stay in one school for very long. He can't stay in one place for very no, long. No, and this is a trend that we're going to see throughout this man's life. Like, he can never spend more than maybe, like, a year 
in one place before he's like, all right, on to the next. He became increasingly skeptical regarding Christianity, pointing out inconsistencies in the Bible to his religious teachers and went against the Christian morality of his upbringing by smoking, masturbating, and and having sex with prostitutes from uh, whom he contracted gonorrhea. He had hooker money. Mm -hmm. This was the house made that he got caught with, that he contracted gonorrhea from, that we talked about in our last episode. The one, so he lied about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, where he was like, I was at the fucking smoke shop. <laughs> no, like, it wasn't me. Hey, I was fucking smoking cigars and drinking liquor and masturbating, okay? Couldn't Come it have been me? My willy itches. <laughs> Why do my balls itch? <laughs> no. Can you imagine having to go to your mom for that? No. Mom, I do believe I need to go see the doctor. <laughs> Why? Why do you need to go see the doctor? <laughs> well, my willy itches. <laughs> it burns. It burns. Burns when I pee. Ah. <laughs> ah, ah. <laughs> he was practicing to be a Sherpa. Oh, yeah. Okay, so it was after he got caught with housemaid, um, got gonorrhea. Uh, it was after all of this that he was sent to live with the estranged uncle and fellow brethren member in Eastbourne, where he undertook classes at Eastbourne College and found his interest in chess, poetry, and mountain climbing. This was also when he joined the Scottish Mountaineering Club and climbed Beachy Hill, and then the following year climbed five other mountains in the area before his first trip to the Alps. I was reading about it, actually. He was president of the chess club, and he immersed himself in the British mountaineering scene, <clears throat> but he embarked on successful trips to the Swiss Alps, uh, he summited Eiger, which is 13,015 feet. Wetterhorn, which is 12,113 feet. Jungfrau. <laughs> nice. Uh, and Monch. Monch. So, and he also penned one of the world's earliest uh, bouldering guides. Bouldering guides? Yeah, which is dated uh, 1898. This was later on that he did that. Mm-hmm. But he did that in the birthplace of British climbing. But he did a, he was actually a pretty good mountaineer. Yeah. In October of 1895, at 20 years old, Crowley began his three-year course career at Trinity College, Cambridge. And this is where Edward died and Alistair was born. Now, I found an explanation for his name change. You're going to read it in his voice? <laughs> Go for it. It said, end quote. For many years, I had loathed being called Alec. Partially because of the unpleasant sound and sight of the word. Partially because of it. You got it, you got it. Partially because it was the name by which my mother called me. Edward did not seem to suit me. And the diminutives Ted and Ned were even less appropriate. Alexander was too long and Sandy suggested toe hair and freckles. (laughs) I read in some book or other that the most favorable name for becoming famous was one consisting of a dactyl followed by a spondy. (laughs) the fuck that is? (laughs) As at the end of a hexameter, like Jeremy Taylor, Alistair Crowley fulfilled these conditions. (laughs) Yes. And Alistair in the Gaelic form of Alexander to adopt it would satisfy my romantic ideals. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> he 
entered the moral science honors subject studying philosophy and English literature, which were actually not on the roster for course choices. Yeah, I was going to say he actually got... He asked to be changed into it. He got special approval. Oh, it was because he had money. Mm, from his personal tutor to do so. Mm-hmm, see, he had that money. Yes. Money talks, bitch. It- Babies walk. <laughs> you went so strong. I don't know why I said babies. I don't know either. Babies don't it, walk. No. <laughs> Bitches walk. Bitches walk. Now, Crowley spent much of his time at university engaged in his pastimes, becoming president of the chess club and practicing the game for two hours a day. He briefly considered a professional career as a chess player and helped formulate the rumor that would follow him for the rest of his life that he was indeed a British spy. None of which is actually collaborated by anybody. No, just him. Yeah, just full of shit. Just him. Like you said last time, he's... Most of the beginning of his life and everything that he said that he did and was involved in was all word of mouth from him. Mm-hmm. There was no collaboration from anybody else. There was like, oh, he's full of shit. Yep. <laughs> he also embraced his love of literature and poetry, particularly the works of Richard Francis Burton and Percy <sighs> Bysshe Shelley. Many of his own poems appeared in student publications such as The Granta, Cambridge Magazine, and Cantab. I bet everybody got a real good fucking laugh from I that. bet they God fucking did. Yeah, they got a good laugh from him. He continued his mountaineering uh, going on holiday to the Alps to climb every year from 1894 to 1898. Fucked up what you can do when you have money. You're just like, I'm going to For real. Um, often he did these treks with his I friend. wipe my ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, dude, I got out of bed wrong and twisted my knee today, <laughs> and it's hurt me all day today. <laughs> I can't say anything. I fucking coughed the other day and hurt my back. It's like still sore. Dude, my knee's still <laughs> We're 30. <laughs> I'll be 35 this month. I know you will. You old man. God, you know what I'm going to do for my birthday? Go to sleep? Try not to die. <laughs> Now, he would often do these mountaineering treks with his friend, Oscar Eckenstein. Eckenstein! And in 1897, he made the first ascent of the Monk without a guide. Uh, Now, these hikes led to his recognition in the Alpine mountaineering community, but the mountaineering wasn't the only mystifying thing about our Mr. Crowley. Crowley had his first significant (sighs) mystical experience while on holiday in Stockholm in December of 1896. Several biographers, including Lawrence Sutton, Richard Krasinski, and Tobias Churton. I killed all those names. You did. I did good. good. (laughs) Thanks. Believe that this was the result of Crowley's first same-sex sexual experience. Which he fucking did. He was like, I fucking love being a power bottom. Yes. Uh, This enabled him to recognize his bisexuality. And at Cambridge, Cali, I'm sorry, Crowley maintained a veg- vigorous sex life with women, largely with female prostitutes, from whom he caught syphilis. <laughs> he just can't keep a clean pee-pee. No. <laughs> he likes it too much, he can't clean. See, like, did he get it from, like, the prostitutes, or did he get it from, like, butt stuff? Oh. <gasps> and if you didn't clean between the two, that's gross. That's gross. My God. Mm. But eventually... Mother of God. Mother of God. (laughs) Now, eventually, 
He took part in same-sex activities despite the law. And in October of 1897, he was very prolific. Very illegal to do butt stuff with. It was illegal to do butt stuff with another man. Don't touch the no-no square. It was like prison time. (laughs) Now, in October of 1897, Crowley met Herbert Charles Pollitt, president of the Cambridge University Footlights Dramatic Club, and the two entered a relationship. But they did break apart because Pollitt didn't share Crowley's increasing interest in Western hystericism and would become a breakup that Crowley would regret for many years. But two months later, Crowley traveled to St. Petersburg in Russia, later saying that he was trying to learn Russian as he was considering a future diplomatic career. Uh, However, a brief illness triggered consideration of death and, quote, the futility of all human endeavor. That and he wasn't very good at learning other languages. It was after this moment that Crowley abandoned all thoughts of diplomatic career in favor of pursuing an interest in the occult. So Thus, it was a he killed his name, his birth name, and became Alistair. And then he abandoned all thoughts of a normal life to follow the occult. It's literally like he rebirthed himself. He was like, you know what? It's fucking time for just sex, drugs, and rock and roll, baby. I said it in the first episode. (laughs) He's like, fucking sex, drugs, rock and roll, butt stuff. Yep. So in March of 1898, (laughs) he obtained A.E. Waits, The Book of Black Magic and of Pax. And then Carl... God damn it. Carl von Eckertschausen's The Cloud Upon the Sanctuary, furthering his occult interests... That same year, Crowley privately published a hundred copies of his poem, A Sladama. Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay. A place of bury strangers in. A place to bury strangers in. But it was not a particular success. It wasn't a success at all. None of his poems were. None. Not one. He sold maybe ten copies. Maybe. 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 It it put him... Very well put him in there. But the title of my favorite one is the one that I'm about to mention. um, Because after he published that poem, that same year Crowley published a string of other poems, including White Stains. (laughs) He's such a fucking bastard. (laughs) He's such a fucking bastard. It was a collection of erotic poetry that was printed abroad lest its publication be prohibited by these British authorities. He tried to publish porn. Yep. Written smut. This is the first smut. He tried to publish the stuff that you get in the back of the magazines. <laughs> he was the first smut writer. He was. He was one of you. Yeah. My man. <laughs> you and him would have got along. Just don't touch me. So <laughs> you read it. You read the smut. I read it. He writes the smut. <laughs> in July of 1898, he left Cambridge completely, not having taken any degree at all, despite a first class showing of his 1897 exams. And a consistent second-class honors results before that. In other words, money talked. He, that, and I don't think he was like necessarily a dumbass. No, I think he did the bare minimum to like scooch by. But he did. He did the enough to get by, and he had money. So, I mean, money talks. Babies walk. Babies walk. <laughs> now, this is where the occult <coughs> really started to take over for Alistair and his life. And he invested not only the mass amount of money left to him by his late father, he invested his entire life. And in August of 1898, 
Crowley was in Zermatt, Switzerland. So again, he's fucking all over the place. And this is where he met chemist Julian L. Baker, and the two began discussing their common interest in alchemy. Then, back in London, uh, Baker introduced Crowley to George Cecil Jones, which was Baker's brother-in-law and a fellow member of the occult society known as the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. <laughs> and this is where shit started to really take off for This him. is where everybody turned into a fucking absolute looney tune thinking they were wizards. Yep. 100%. <laughs> so this was a, a society that was founded in 1888. Crowley was initiated into the Outer Order of the Golden Dawn on November 18th of 1898 by the group's leader, Samuel Liddell McGregor Mathers. The ceremony took place in Golden Dawn's Isis Urania Temple, held at London's Mark Mason's Hall, where Crowley took the magical motto and name Freder Pedwarbo. Pedwabo. <laughs> yeah. Pedurabo. Pedurabo. There's so many stupid fucking Perdurabo. names in here, I can't fucking stand it. Pedurabo. <laughs> <laughs> he reminds me of a fucking South Park character. Pedurabo. <laughs> Fredo. Fredo. <laughs> I can't wait until we're through with this fucking man. God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> One more time. Um, he took on the magical motto and name Freighter Perdurabo, which he interpreted as I shall endure to the end. See, he just... <laughs> he made this shit up as he Nobody went. knows what that means. <laughs> it's, it's, They're like, all right, listen, we're going to give you a name. Oh, I'm going to give my own name. <laughs> Like fucking shooting magic beam. <laughs> like he's fucking Professor X. Oh my god. <laughs> 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 he's such a dildo. He ended up moving into his own luxury flat at 6769. <laughs> he was like, I love it. <laughs> he's such a perv, so everything <laughs> sticks out to my child brain. <laughs> Do you think he's like, he's like, maybe we just kind of up the first half? <laughs> So and it's funny because in all of like the research that I did, his address wasn't the four numbers together. It was sixty-seven dash sixty-nine. He did it on purpose to fucking ask. I swear, I swear. But anyways, this was this luxury flat was at sixty-seven sixty-nine Chancery Lane, and soon he invited a senior Golden Dawn member by the name of Alan Bennett to live with him as his personal magical tutor. Bennett taught Crowley more about ceremonial magic and the rituals, ritual use of drugs. And together, they performed rituals until Bennett left for South Asia to study Buddhism. Then in November of 1899, Crowley purchased Bolskeen House in four years on the shore of Loch Ness in Scotland. He developed a love for Scottish culture, desp- describing himself as the Laird of Bolskine. Once again, just making up his own shit. Absolutely. Um, what is it, a Laird? Like, uh... Lord? Yeah, yeah, it's just Scottish. The Laird of the Bolskine! Yep, that's exactly it. So... Do you think he tried to take on, like, the, uh, like the persona? He took like to the, wearing traditional Highland dress. Knew it! Even in his visits to London as well, he would always dress up... <sighs> As 
like the Highlanders. So we're talking like, you know, my Outlander show mm-hmm. with all the Scots. Mm-hmm. They were Highlanders. So we're, so we're talking fucking Mel Gibson and this motherfucker. Oh, we're Mel Gibson all Freedom! the way. <laughs> um, Freedom to have butt sacks. <laughs> <laughs> Crowley soon progressed through the lower grades of the Golden Dawn and was ready to enter the group's inner second order. He was unpopular in the group, however. His bisexuality and libertine lifestyle had gained him a bad reputation. Because it was, at the time, mm. still, once again... Very taboo. Yeah, not, every, not everybody was like, you fucking what? <laughs> I'm <laughs> sorry, like, you did what to that man? Fucking excuse me? <laughs> the fuck? Yes, I just gargled yes. his balls. They're, oh like, they're like, listen, fucking say it again. <laughs> say it again. Fucking dare you. Um, he developed feuds with some of the members, including W.B. Yeats. Yeats. Uh, when the Golden Dawn's London My Lodge. Dude, <laughs> now, when the Golden Dawn's London Lodge refused to initiate Crowley into the Second Order, he visited Mathers in Paris, who personally admitted him to the Adeptus Minor Grade. And from here, Alistair manipulated Mathers into trying to pull, essentially a heist on the London branch known as the Vault of the Adepts, which was a temple, I'm sorry, which was a temple space at 36 Blythe Road in West Kensington. And Alistair plotted with Mathers to take it from the London Lodge members. Now, He's like, look, we're going to go in there with our fucking wands and our sashes. <laughs> I need you to listen to this. I need you to listen to this. Hang on. Just, just hang. I know you have the outline, so you probably already read it. <laughs> but just let me get through it. My favorite part of his whole life. <laughs> just wait a minute, okay? <laughs> okay. Now, under acting under Mather's orders, Crowley, with the help of his mistress and fellow initiate <sighs> Elaine Simpson, attempted and failed. They barreled through the doors of the lodge, casting spells, throwing rocks and books at the other members to get them out of the lodge, only for it to backfire on them and get arrested. When the case was taken to court, the judge ruled in favor of the London Lodge as they paid for the space's rent, leaving both Crowley and Mathers isolated from the entire order. He went in there full wizard battle style and was like, we're going to tear these motherfuckers down. And you know what's funny is that... Out of all the like the castings, like the the willing, they're spouting off nonsense. They don't have fucking words that they're saying. They're literally just moving their tongues at this point. Spouting off words at each other, and the dude kicked Crowley down the stairs. He just like this is Sparta. Eating him down the stairs. Yeats kicked this man directly in his chest. Like he was. I can just think of Carly. I'm sick of bleeding. I'm sick of bleeding. bleeding. (laughs) Must bleed. (laughs) He just kicked his fat ass. Oh fuck. Okay. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) I fucking love it. Okay, guys. So we're going to get really paraphrasy here because if one thing was certain with our guy, he didn't stay in one place too long. Now, as we've said before, Mr. Crowley was an intense man. We are briefing a lot of stuff, even though we are still going into detail at the same time. If you are interested in learning more about this man yourself, please 
look him up and I guarantee you will have hours of shit to read. So we are now going to go through this little world tour that he did essentially. So in 1900, Crowley traveled to Mexico via the United States, settling in Mexico City. He developed a love for this country. He continued experimenting with ceremonial magic, working with uh, John D's Enochian, Enochian essays. Get out of here. I'm not going to sleep. He later claimed to have I'm been... going to sleep. <laughs> my little sleep alarm came Get out of here, timer. Uh, he later claimed to have been initiated into Freemasonry while there, and he wrote a play as well as a series of poems published as oracles. Uh, okay, so he stayed in Mexico for about a year, learning their ways and climbing mountains throughout the Mexican country. And then when leaving Mexico, Crowley headed to Hawaii aboard the Nippon Maru. On the ship, he had a brief affair with a woman named Mary Alice Rogers, saying that he had fallen in love with her and wrote a series of poems about this romance and published it as Alice an adultery. He just he calls her out. Calls her and out he like, yeah. I'm going to write a whole book and like, you put were, your whole entire name into it. Yeah. Fuck and, your husband. Yep. 100%. <laughs> Once in Hawaii and learning that culture over the span of another year, Crowley decided to tour India devoting himself to the Hindu practice of Raja Yoga, which he claimed to have achieved the spiritual state of divine meditation. Mm-hmm. In 1902, he was joined in India by Eckenstein and several other mountaineers by the names of Guy Knowles, H. Pafani, and Jules Jacquard Guillermoad. Guillermo. Guillermo? Guillermo. Together, the Eckenstein-Crowley expedition attempted K2, which had never been climbed yet up to this point. On the journey, Crowley was afflicted with influenza, malaria, and snow blindness. He just gets everything while he's fucking... God. <laughs> so we have gonorrhea, syphilis, malaria, snow blindness. And the flu. And influenza. Uh, five. We have a whole hand of diseases this man has had. He's a walking... He's, he's a walking Petri dish. I was going to say Petri dish. He is. But anyways. He's so gross. Because he, he didn't wash his hands. He's such a gross human being. just mix. didn't. Uh, the other expedition members were also struck with illness as well, so he wasn't the only one. They reached an altitude of about 20,000 feet before they had to turn back. And then in November of 1902, Crowley then traveled to Paris and mingled with his buddy and painter, Gerald Kelly. And through him became a fixture of the Parisian arts scene. So we've literally, like, he is just a mosh podge of everything. And to go back to K2, he, uh, <coughs> in that expedition, nobody had reached that height of K2 before. No, it would never been climbed before. Yeah. So, and it held that record for years up until. Didn't uh, he break his record? He might have. I think that's the one he break he broke his record on. We'll find out. Okay. Um, whilst there, Crowley wrote a series of poems on the work of an acquaintance, the sculptor August Roden. These poems were later published as Roden in Rhyme. <laughs> where where <laughs> I read it and I'm like, how how did this correlate? How do you come up with these these titles? Because he just he's also the man that added a K to magic. This is true. Um he then <coughs> hopped back over to Bolskine, Scotland in April of 1903, and then in August of that same year, went back to Paris 
and wed Gerald Kelly's sister, Rose Edith Kelly, in a marriage of convenience <sighs> to prevent her from entering an arranged marriage. So there was no love there. He was no. just trying to help a friend out. <laughs> but... He's like, I've got money. I've got money. <laughs> but the marriage appalled the Kelly family and damaged his friendship with Gerald completely. But they didn't care. The newlyweds went off onto their honeymoon to Paris, Cairo, and then Ceylon, uh, which is when Crowley fell in love with Rose and proved to work his affection or work to prove his affections. While on his honeymoon, he wrote a series of love poems published as Rosa Mundi and other love songs none as, of which were songs yeah as well as uh authoring the religious satire why jesus wept you know he's a he's a i funny tell you guy. why jesus is weeping right now but see okay so here's the thing here's the thing <laughs> with this marriage of convenience crowley didn't love rose at the time but rose was obsessed with alistair very much so. Who at this time looked like a fucking dirty hobo. Mm-hmm. And she thought he was just the, bees the hottest thing. So in February of 1904, Crowley and Rose arrived in Cairo, claiming to be a prince and princess. They rented an apartment in which Crowley set up a temple room and began invoking ancient Egyptian deities while studying Islamic mysticism and Arabic. So like... He's literally trying to absorb all these different, like, religions and ways of life and, and stuff like that. And let it be known that Rose uh, R- Rose was a fucking raging alcoholic. So, according to Crowley's later account, Rose regularly became delirious and informed him, quote, they are waiting for you. He said that. He said that on their honeymoon that she had, like, woke up in the middle of the night and... Was like crouching in the bed over him. What? And, and screeching like a bat. Oh my god. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> I swear to God. She is fucking wild. It's because she was a fucking raging. Oh They're god. like smoking opium and fucking she's chugging vodka. And he had done hashish up to this time too. Yeah, so they're all stoned out of their mind. They're doing she's all sorts of drugs. Like a bat and he's like I love this Well, and he practices in drug magic, too. So, of Mm -hmm. course, like, he's doing spells and stuff with drugs. Yeah, so she, like, she supposedly fucking acted like a bat and was, like, squeaking and screeching. But I think that's what all women do once you get married. Excuse me? That's how you know. Bruh. That's how you know you're married. Bruh. I've never (laughs) screeched like a bat. It's when your wife crouches on the headboard and... (laughs) I've been married to my husband for... Almost five years. You're, you're telling me you've never got on the bed and echolocated? I've never echolocated. No, I have not. Stop it! Now, according to Crowley's later account, Rose regularly became delirious and informed him, quote, they are waiting for you. On March 18th, she explained that they were the gods uh, Horus, and on March 20th proclaimed that the equinox of the gods has come, and she led him to a nearby museum where she showed him a 7th century BCE mortuary steel known as the Steel of... Fuckity fuck. Uh, and what is that? Ankhamhefen... Kansu? Kansu, Ankhamhefen Kansu. Ankhamhefen Kansu. Okay. Crowley thought it important that the exhibit's numbers were 666 
the number of the beast in Christian belief, and in later years termed the artifact as the steel of the revealing. <clears throat> and let it be known that she had no knowledge. This kind of like plays into his ego as well with his whole thing because she had no prior knowledge of the Egyptian gods. She had no knowledge of any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But it kind of... W- the weird thing is is that a lot of it, the shit she was saying aligned uh, with like a lot of the shit that Aleister Crowley said. Yes. And even he was like, well, she had no knowledge of any of these gods or their names. And then when she, she led him to that statue, he was like, oh, that's it. Told you. That's it. Like, that's all I needed. Like, yep. Look, look at me. Look at me. I told you guys this whole guy's just, this whole time. But who knows what he? Once again, it's all stipulation. It's all stipulation. Shit. Now and then, here's exactly our point with that too, because here comes the hypocrite side of him. Because according to Crowley's later statements on April eighth of that same year, he heard a disembodied voice claiming to be Awas, the messenger of Horus. Crowley said that he wrote down everything the voice told him over the course of the next three days and titled, titled it Liber Alvel Legis or the Book of the Law. The book proclaimed that humanity was entering a new eon and that Crowley served as its prophet. It stated that a supreme moral law was to be introduced into this eon, which was, quote, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. And that people should learn to live in tune with their will. This book and the philosophy that it pretty much was preaching uh, became the cornerstone for Crowley's religion, Thelema. And you know what's funny is it it's like really like the Mormons and Joseph A. Smith. Because he said the same thing that yeah. he sat in a fucking room for three days. And I don't remember. I think Crowley's came first. I think it did too. I was kind of looking Pretty into sure. it. But here's here's what gets me. This man sat down for three days and claimed that a God's messenger was coming to him and writing down all this stuff. You and I both know that's a load of shit. Load of shit. And then after he created this book of the law, he stated that after time, he became unsure of what to do with it and often resenting it. He said that he ignored the instructions which the text commanded him to perform, which including taking the seal of revealing from the museum, fortifying his own island, and translating the book into the world's languages for others to see. And he was like, yeah, I don't know if I really want to do that. Yeah. Uh, it says here that the Mormon, the uh, Joseph A. Smith wrote it in 1827. Oh, my God. Um, <clears throat> so when was Thelema? Uh, let's see here. 1904. So, I mean, he could have been biting off of it and did this you know, on the yeah. same way. So... With that being said, according to his account, he instead sent typescripts of the work to several occultists that he knew, putting the manuscript away and ignoring it afterwards. Like, I did this, mm-hmm. I did my part, yeah. moving on. Now, it was kind of over the whole thing. It was really fucking stupid. Yeah. On July 28th of 1905, Rose gave birth to Crowley's first child, a daughter named Lilith, with Crowley writing the pornographic... Snowdrops from Curate's garden to entertain his recuperating wife. He's like, mind if I write you some porn? I'm gonna write you some porn. While you're breastfeeding my child? Let me read you some smut by my hand. While you're (laughs) breastfeeding my child with your tainted milk? (laughs) 
He also founded a publishing company through which uh, to publish his poetry, naming which it fucking failed miserably. Oh yeah, uh, he named it the Society of the for the Propagation of Religious Truth, which was in parody of the Society for Promoting Christian Knowledge Publishing Company. And among its first publications were Crowley's collected works, edited by Ivor Ivor Back Ivor Back. I. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, and it, which was an old friend of Crowley's who was both a practicing surgeon and an enthusiast of literature. He, He's just like, I like books. I like books and <laughs> pointy things. Uh, Crowley's and books. It was after this that Crowley decided to climb Kanchenjunga in the Himalayas of Nepal. God bless you. Thank you. Widely recognized as the world's most treacherous mountain. The collaboration between Jacko... Guillermo? Guillermo. Charles, wow, Charles Adolf Raymond, Alexis Pachi, and Alesti C. Rigo de Rigi. Wow, that one kept going. The expedition was marred by much argument between Crowley and the others who thought that he was reckless. That was the one where he completely changed. Yes. He, he changed it from a... And at this time, the mountain they were climbing was already known for avalanches. Mm-hmm. And they changed it. Well, he changed the path to a more dangerous route with more that was more prone to avalanches. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the homeboy, uh, was it Charles? Yeah. Yeah. Charles was like the, the leader that was originally going to do it. And that was the same thing we said. He just, him and... He got into it with Crowley. And Crowley's like, I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, they just butt heads. It was like the egos were yeah. too big. And re- fucking... <laughs> Rigidi was... Rigidi! Rigo. Rigo. Rigo Suave poor, over here. Poor Alesti wasn't even supposed to fucking be there. Mm. He was... That is the one that wasn't supposed to yeah, be there. he wasn't supposed to be there. He's like, I just wanted to make it a lasagna. I'm making the pizza. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm making the spaghetti. <laughs> I'm going to be the spaghetti. <laughs> yeah, I, should, I should not be at it. I should not be at it. I have no experience. <laughs> just to pay a bill. <laughs> Because Crowley owed that man a lot of money for... Yeah, and he was like, I'll just take you on an expedition. We'll call it even. <coughs> and this time he was going broke. Yeah, he was. Because he, he was, was on his second broke. inheritance. Yes. Um, they eventually mutinied against Crowley's control, with the other climbers heading back down the mi- mountain as nightfall approached, despite Crowley's warnings that it was too dangerous. Subsequently, Patchy and several porters were killed in the accident. Ah. I'm sorry, in an accident, which was an avalanche. Something for which Crowley was widely blamed by the mountaineering community for because he did not offer any help to those that were trapped in the avalanche. And you know what's funny is he went down and tried to save his own ass and he did like five interviews with like local papers and shit. Yep. <laughs> and none of them believed him. None of them believed him because they, the other guys had also been interviewed by several papers that he went to. And they're like, no, this guy is fucking full of shit. He's yeah. going to kill us all. Yeah. So after this expedition going completely, although wrong, he was right, he said that if you guys le- don't, if you guys leave, you're all gonna die. You're walking right into a summit that's going to have an avalanche. And he, like, went, he warned them. But what's fucked up is he was the one that fucking plotted the route that they went that they were gonna fucking inevitably die on yeah. because of the avalanches. So this guy's a fucking asshole. Well, through and through. So he and he sat down in his little camp like, no, I'm not no, going. You can't make me. I'm gonna sit here and smoke my hash. <laughs> I have my. Wand for protection. I'm stick my wand in my butt. <laughs> <laughs> so after the expedition and all of the heinous interviews and things that happened, Rose and Lilith came to Crowley, um, and the trio toured all over China and the surrounding areas for a few months before Where he smoked massive amounts of opium. Uh, tons. Um, before he returned to Europe, 
while Crowley continued on and sailed to Japan and Canada before continuing to New York City, where he unsuccessfully solicited support for a second expedition up Kenshinjunga. So he went over to the States trying to find more people to try and do this freaking expedition on this mountain after the first failed one. Yeah, and this time he was... He was a... he hated fucking New York City. He said mm-hmm. he hated everything about it except for the ice cream. Uh, that was it? Yep. He liked the ice cream. Oh, okay. That's because nobody there believed his bullshit. Ah. And he was failing as a fucking writer and he was going broke. So yeah. he fucking, he hated New York because he was, his life was in shambles. <laughs> his wife is a fucking raging alcoholic slash opium addict. He's a fucking opium addict. He's failing as a writer. He fucking just killed a bunch of people. <laughs> Things aren't looking too good for our magician. No. <laughs> himself <laughs> yeah he's, 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 he's fucking, look at me talking my shit me <laughs> <laughs> now after realizing that it was a lost cause in the states crowley started to return home upon arrival in britain crowley learned that his daughter lilith had died of typhoid in rangoon on the way home after spending time with him and rose in china which was something that he later blamed on Rose's increasing alcoholism. That, and I think you said something about not cleaning the bottles or... Yeah. It was something like that. <clears throat> now, he said all this to Rose, and then he left again, only to find out six months later that Rose gave birth to Crowley's second daughter, who went by the name of Lola Zaza. And that's where we are going to leave off, guys. And before we like sign off, I just want to put in there that Papa Bear just found the actual like official name of Alistair Crowley's first daughter. So it was Nuit Ma Ahathor Hecate 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 Hecate. Okay, so it was Nuit Ma Ahathor Hecate Sappho Jezebel Lilith Crowley. <laughs> I would have went with Lilith. Too. I would have just picked Lilith, like none of the other stuff. My God. But that is going to conclude. <laughs> oh God, that's going to conclude our part two on Alistair Crowley. Uh, now, the next episode that you guys are going to hear after this is not going to be the conclusion of Alistair Crowley. We have a very special episode coming up for you guys. It's going to have our special guest. Um, the topic is going to be finally a murder. I need the true crime because I was going crazy. <laughs> I was going nuts. I needed the murder. Um, is Our next topic is going to be Eileen Warnos. I've got a sweet fucking accent for that one, too. That's going to be great. And we have a special guest who Come will on, be on Martin. there. Come on, Mark. Uh, we are going to have a special guest on that one for you, but I think we should keep it a secret. Yeah, let's keep it a secret. Keep it a secret. So it's hush-hush for right now. But... Until then, as usual, guys, make sure that you are following us on all of our platforms. We hope that you enjoyed this very unhinged series on <laughs> Alistair Crowley because this is for this is just for fun. This one's just a lot of fun. Like we're just again kind of bringing a little bit of everything to the table. So it's fun to be able to do these ones and just have you know joke around with it and shit because this man was so unhinged and we are unhinged. So. It works out. But we hope that you guys enjoyed. And as usual, we hope you creeps keep it creepy. I'm Katie. I'm... (laughs) Yes? Yes. Go on. I'm Nate. Bye. Bye.